HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Juniors. You have not really lived until you've had cheesecake at Juniors. For more information, visit juniorscheesecake.com. I'm Linda Palaccio, host of A Taste of the Past. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. That's right. It's Monday. It's 12 o'clock. And this is What Doesn't Kill You, Food Industry Insights. I'm your host, Katie Kiefer. We're going to have a really fun uh, roundup of shows with one of my favorite guests, Amanda Hitt. Amanda is the director of the Government Accountability Project's Food Integrity Campaign. She oversees uh, the FIC operations and is responsible for ensuring that the FIC, that is Food Integrity Campaign, fulfills its mission of enhancing food integrity by facilitating truth-telling. To do this, Amanda works closely with partner organizations, clients, legislators, and the media, that would be me, to alter, and others, <laughs> to alter the balance of power between the food industry and consumers. She acts to protect the rights of those who speak out against the practices that compromise food integrity and empower whistleblowers and food activists. Amanda, thanks so much for joining me today. It's so much fun to have you on. I love you. Katie, <laughs> It's you? been a while. I know. I'm good. I'm good. It's, it's been way too long. I know. I feel like it's been forever. It's, it's the holiday season. Yep. That's what happens. It's like the whole year just kind of slid by, and now all of a sudden it's Christmas again, and I'm like, oh, my God. But um, I wanted to uh, sort of do a, a fun little roundup of highlights from what GAP has been working on this year. Um, and I know the first one, the first thing was a few weeks ago, you guys initiated a campaign um, <clears throat> that was to uh, set up a petition to address the egregious animal cruelty uh, that was recently recorded, once again, at a Purdue facility um, by by Mercy for Animals. So um, what happened with that? Well, I'll tell you a little bit about it. So um, we, you know, we, we're a whistleblower organization, right. so um, our petitions are on behalf of the whistleblower and for greater transparency and truth-telling in agriculture, all of that good stuff. So that's right. what we're trying to do. And that there was, a, you know, there, there's egregious animal handling um, is, is a fact that the public wants to know about, and our truth-tellers get that information out. Right. And, um, and, and we, we work uh, collaboratively with all kinds of animal welfare groups. Um, we absolutely support uh, their undercover video and getting this information out. But what we really stand for and what we really stand by are the opportunities for the employees within those organizations to speak out. And um, and we do actually have a Purdue whistleblower. And I want to just sort of give you an idea of what happened there. So this this uh, Purdue and uh, MFA Mercy for Animals did this this video and it. 
And in the video, it shows, you know, all these horrible animal abuses. And what happens is uh, Purdue turns around and says, oh, that's so bad. Thank you, MFA, for yeah. letting us know uh, what was happening on our farms. We're going to get right on that. And I think that's where we call BS. And, uh, <laughs> and, and we do, and our whistleblower does, too, because it's not, it's not about one isolated bad farmer who beats chickens. This is a systemic issue that's happening on all these Purdue farms. And that's what our, our, our whistleblower Craig Watts. We'll talk maybe a little, a little bit. We are going to talk more about Craig and another whistleblower. But, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> but, but yeah, it's this. It's the same old thing. Like blame it on the this one, you know, egregious farmer, right? Instead of looking mm-hmm. at the system that facilitates that, looking at the system that actually, um, it, it, in in many ways, it promotes that type of behavior. So, you know, it's it's and that's what we're all about is is trying to get that that uh, that voice of the worker out and let people know what's really happening on those farms because it's all gilded and and, and Purdue uh, you know they have their image and and you know they are they are great at, at, at what they do but what they're doing isn't consistent with what people want and that that's where we come in yeah and, yeah I mean they uh, you know these these videos which surface with you know really dismal regularity um, they show that even though the meat industry over the, you know, ever since the first, I think the first, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that first major animal welfare video that really caught public attention was the Westlake Hallmark yeah. video. And that was what, in 2002? Eight. No, eight. 2008. I think it was, you could, yeah, I think it was a little later, but yeah, yeah, yeah Westland Hallmark. Yeah, and um, and that was sort of the first time that 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 kind of cruelty had been. In that case, it was uh, it was in a processing facility, and there were cattle that were um, what they call downer cattle, which are never supposed to enter the food supply because they might have BSE or bunge, bo, bovine spongiform encephalopathy. Um, say that three times fast when you've had a few cocktails. <laughs> Which you have. Which you have. Not right now, but I was. <laughs> I, I, I'm considering that a benchmark for future parties and holiday events. <laughs> when I can no longer say those three words with any coherence, it's time to go home. <laughs> anyway, I I should not be laughing about BSE or mad cow disease, as it is also called, but. Um, but that was, I think, the first time that the public really got a full-on dose of what the the uh, you know the meat industry is is good at, and um, and then since then it's you know it's been this endless litany with the meat industry of like oh my god really that's happening no no we can't let that happen and some of them were kind of getting behind the idea of putting in uh, third-party audited video streams. And I wondered what whatever happened to that concept. I mean, I think some companies actually did go there, but obviously the poultry industry is not among them. Yeah, this is an interesting thing that I haven't shared before. So um, I, it's Compassion Over Killing, which is another animal welfare organization yeah. that does undercover investigation, uh, did an undercover investigation of uh, QPP, yeah. which is uh, in Austin, Minnesota. It's a hemp plant. We'll talk about hemp in a little yes, while. Yes, we will. But that's, uh, we had four, um, four separate whistleblowers talking about what really goes on in these these pilot programs and these hemp programs. Yeah. And um, when I talked, they, you know, they obviously had a chance to look at the COK uh, release on the, that showed animal welfare. Um, and, and they were, they were, you know, they, they, they I, I watched it with them. I mean, yeah. they pointed out cameras that are third-party auditor cameras. 
um, in the facility. So fat lot of good those do. I mean, if you're working for the org- if you're working for the the plant, if you're the auditor that works for the plant, then maybe you're not going to be so good at finding and investigating and pulling out uh, problems in the plant. And I and let's make this a theme. It's not these these undercover vi- videos. At the, at the end of the day, they do they do show animal abuse, which is a crime. Right, um, and then and they occasionally show uh, other food safety worker issues as well, which 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 have penalties, uh, uh, you know, or there are consequences associated with them. But it's not what's wrong in those videos, as far as going to you know slap you with the fine or slap you with a crime. It's it's what's absolutely normal and par for the course mm. that's going to cause the trouble. And a lot of what is in that video, the COK video, and I, it requires everybody to watch this video, is not. Not egregious in the in the in the in the manner that you would take action, like where the agency would take action. So, mm. um, and it's not it's not it's not problematic. It doesn't reach a level, and it, and the public's the, the degrees to which the public is is willing to let this uh, situation rise is is far lower than the agency or certainly the plant. Right. So basically, what I'm saying is. They're not going to see wrongdoing at the same point at which a casual viewer of that COK video sees. Right. So they have to, obviously, the, the plant's going to respond to it because they know that the average watcher is going to say, hey, that's, that's messed up. I don't want to be a part of that. Or I don't want to eat food that comes from that plant. I, that's not what I pay for, right? right? So they know that there's a problem, but they, 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 they're, not going to, they're not going to identify it at the same point as the consumer. So they can reflect on what happened and say that was wrong. But during the moment, it's not wrong. It's just how they do business. It's not that bad. And and I'll be really, this is some some really scary stuff. The inspectors that I talked to after viewing that video, they said, okay, there's animal welfare issues. Okay, that's a fact. But that's nothing, and I mean nothing, compared to the food safety issues that those cameras did not catch. Right. And those cameras aren't going to catch food safety issues because they're animal welfare organizations that are doing it. But, you know, if, if an undercover video went in and saw what kind of nastiness is making it into your Hormel foods, then they'd really, people would really be shocked and people would really take notice. But those videos have, have yet to see the light of day because no one's taking them. But you know what? Give it time because undercover is 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 it's it's a growing trend. Yeah, it's you know? in it's and, in its uh, infancy right now, right? Yeah, it's in its infancy because, but I mean everything's changing. We live in a drone covered world, you know. Like yes. that's I mean, life is the life as we know it, as far as what is it what is private activity is you know, is really. It's really, it really changed. Not that I think that any of those plants have any expectation of privacy when it comes to the public's health, because they don't. And obviously, the meat inspection crews are there; that the government is there regulating their activities, because there really isn't that. You know, there isn't the same level of privacy one would expect and anticipate. You know, sitting in in your office, you know, sure. or hanging out in Brooklyn. But, but you know, it's. I mean, they, they they should be watched. They should be monitored. The question is. Are they watching and monitoring enough? And I don't think so. I, 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 I think we've really scratched the surface because the stuff I hear, I mean, it, it's mind-blowing. It's horrible. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, just I, I think Tom Philpot wrote a piece about um, some of the goings-on in the uh, QPP plant um, in the, or, you know, Hormel's, uh, their, uh, their pork processing arm. Um, and also Ted Genoway's reflected on that in the chain. Um, but yeah. just sort of like the whole, because of the, the hemp process, which by the way, let's remind people, 
people that HIMP, which is my favorite food safety inspection program, is hazard analysis and critical control points based inspection models project. (laughs) (laughs) Say that three times fast. Um, But they, uh, I mean, for instance, you, you were um, quite, uh, quite active in working with the four whistleblowers who talk, we might as well talk about QPP and HIMP and Hormel. Um, You were quite, uh, you guys were quite active in talking to and defending those four uh, inspectors, three of whom initially refused to be um, you know, named only one guy was willing to come out in public with his real name, and then eventually, I think I read that the other three uh, followed soup. Talk, talk, talk a little bit about that. Talk a little bit about what you were doing with those former USDA inspectors and what they found, and and how how you guys have helped them. Well, let's let's you know start it start off what it takes to come forward. Yeah, um, good. these these people work in these 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 programs, these plants. And it's it's a good paying job. It feeds their families. It's it it it's 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 good work if you can find it. Yeah. So you, you get into these plants and you start seeing wrongdoing, or you start start seeing you know uh, unintended consequences of, of of the project, things that are abnormal, things that are unsafe. You start to witness that, and you have to come up with the fortitude, you know, to actually step up and say something. And that's what these people did. They, they, they found the Government Accountability Project and the Food Integrity Campaign, and they came to us and they had said, look, this new government program, this hemp program, is bad news for consumers, and here's why. Mm-hmm. And so they, um, instead of, like you said, you know, it's putting your job in jeopardy, you know, especially or putting yourself in the community in, in, in jeopardy. Cause Absolutely. Because these plants supply jobs to the communities, right? So if you're going to go against the plant, you're going going against the, the mothership, right? Yeah, <laughs> this is that's what's right. Supplying, that's right. This is it. Right? You could be putting people's so, jobs at jeopardy. You know, risking the shutdown of the plant, which means wages yeah. lost, time lost. Yeah, huge. All of that. It's a big deal. So they they mm-hmm. did step forward, and they did so through the use of um, uh, affidavits, right? So we did anonymous affidavits, and like you said, some people did uh, ultimately come forward, but they didn't come. F- forward it wasn't like a you know like they it was a it was an easy decision because they they what what had happened is they they retired so uh. they weren't at, they were no longer at risk of losing their jobs and they were pretty secure that they could say what they needed to say get their truth out there without suffering any of the blowback which is right. not entirely true because you still have the scrutiny of, of everybody your friends and neighbors who work at that plant but they nonetheless came forward um, after retirement and so that's what that's what happened and um, and we actually we continue to advocate on behalf of them we're looking into uh, different ways that we can um, uh, do some uh, help them in a legal capacity outside of just making this disclosure, but somehow making this disclosure even more formalized. And um, we're 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 looking into um, those types of relationships with with these um, inspectors now that you know they're willing to come forward, so that we can we can really do something about this. And mm-hmm. and ultimately, we'd love to bring more people, it, more voices into the choir. I mean, if there's more people out there that know that this, these plants are running in this improper way, we want to hear about that, and we want to announce that. We want to, we want to provide, you know, and that's what we do. We pr- provide a legal, a legal safety net for these people to do it, but we also offer, you know, media opportunities, me getting on the, on the radio, talking to you, letting folks know what's happening, uh, right. and letting folks know why they don't know or they haven't heard until now how bad things are. But things are, are not in a good place when it comes to the industrialized food industry. It just, it's just not in a good place. And we've, and we've got people that 
that are starting to make those shifts and make those change, and they support our whistleblowers, they support our mission, and they they um, they they really help keep us going. So, I mean, people more people want to know the 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 right to know requires the right to tell the truth. So, um, about what's going on, right? So, um, we, we're getting a lot of support from communities, people, listeners like who who listen to the fabulous Katie Kiefer. I mean, that's <laughs> that's. I mean, that's where we, we draw our support, and um, that's who signs our petitions, and that's yeah. who, uh, who, makes, who really makes the change. So um, we're happy to work with, with the media. And then when you, when, you, you know, when you finalize one of these petitions, I'm, uh, what, what happens then? You submit it to the USDA or the FSIS or to the company itself and show them that this many people are actually watching what they're doing and want to know what's, what they're going to change or how they're going to fix it or what changes, if any, they're going to make. Um, what, what's the... What What's the byproduct of, of signing a petition with you guys? Well, sometimes we'll um, we'll do an, an immediate you know action at the agency level. So we had a, um, a whistleblower uh, pork. He was a it was a pork inspector who blew the whistle on egregious humane handling violations at a Tyson's facility, pork facility, mm-hmm. um, and he um, we petitioned the USDA to have him relocated back near his home because he started blowing the whistle and making trouble. So what they did is they transferred him 120 miles away. <laughs> so we were like, well, we want him home, right? We, yeah. he, was, he was away from his friends and family on the holidays. So it was terrible. So we petitioned the uh, USDA directly, and um, and they worked with us, and they, they did, in fact, bring him home. So um, what, what you know, listeners can you know do as far as signing a petition could have huge impacts, and over 100,000 people signed that petition to get Jim home. So wow. We're, you know, really happy about that. But then other um, other tactics might include, hey, you know, we're working with, um, currently working with uh, two other organizations, Compassion Over Killing and the other 98%. Uh, on this WTF Hormel campaign, mm-hmm. and we're combining. We all, all, all our organizations have petitions against Hormel, um, and you know we're going to combine those petitions and um, hopefully make a, a public display out of that, letting Hormel know that, that consumers don't care for what they're doing and uh, would prefer that we not have hemp plants. And I do need to add, so that you understand why we would we would be interested in Hormel as an actor as an or- organization. Hormel owns three out of the five of these hemp processing plants. Right. Right. Essentially, speed up the lines and reduce inspection. So it's a money-making. They're money-making machines, and Hormel is the beneficiary of of, of that big time. And uh, we want to let them know that their consumers don't care for it. So um, we'll certainly do something big and uh, audacious to Hormel um, so when that time comes as we uh, continue to. Uh, have, I mean, since you guys started the the WTF, um, you know, Hormel uh, petition, have more people come out uh, from QPP or Hormel um, sort of in the under ranks saying, uh, yeah, this is happening and I don't like it either? And I mean, have you gotten any more sort of uh, support from disgruntled workers, shall we say? We're always we're always receiving um, information from from folks, not all of which want to be public whistleblowers. Right. So it's, it's a difference between someone sh- you know expressing their you know uh, you know their amening our activities and blessing what we're doing, and another to actually come forward. And, and to that we have not had another public whistleblower. Um, but I will say we got that incredible undercover video, which yeah. really you know knocked the socks off of off of Hormel and set them <laughs> back. So um, which which you know are we're again happy to work with Compassion Over Killing uh, to get that information, um, you know, out and open. And I think their petition is well over a hundred thousand. 
I uh, so, so, I mean, people are, you know, people are signing on, people are attracted to this issue, and um, we hope that uh, our combined influence will really make a difference. Well, I think the, the thing that bugs people the most about the meat industry in general, uh, whether you are eating meat or not eating meat, is, is animal welfare issues. I think that is sort of really the hot button issues. People think less about the worker safety issues. Um, that doesn't seem to be making as much of a, you know, pl- tug on the heartstrings as animal welfare, but people really, really respond to those videos. I mean, they are truly horrific. And uh, as more and more research shows how sentient animals are, and especially pigs, it's just like, it's heartbreaking. I don't know how, you know, it's very hard to continue to participate um, in, you know, buying your meat at a grocery store when you know, in the back of your mind that, you know, it really came at such an expense to the animal, um, and such an expense to the people who are who are involved in the processing and the handling, the slaughtering, whatever. Um, it's, it's, it's just a really... You know, I've been doing this now for seven years, and I literally see almost no forward movement on these issues. And I'm just, you know, I'm just amazed that they continue to get away with this. And to me, that speaks to a profound influence on government policy, USDA, FSIS, the Food Safety and Inspection Services. And that's kind of like, that's my focus now is like that is it's the policy, it's the government collusion with this stuff that really, you know, gets my bacon brown, I gotta say. Well, but, yeah, it is. You know, I mean, but you've, you've, we are, you know, th- those of us that are in this in this struggle to to bring out the truth about about this industry, well, we'll tell you, you know, that that they are shuttering their windows, states, you know, yes. to, to stop anybody from looking in, is a sign that 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 they know someone's looking, right? So they're put they're putting they're installing the locks on the door, they're they're latching the windows, they're doing what yep. they need to do to keep the prying eyes out, to keep the to keep the interested part at bay. And, you know, it's not good. I don't like ag-gag. I'm just switching subjects on you. I don't, I don't, I don't like ag-gag. I don't think, think it's a good thing. But, um, but it, it's certainly a reaction that shows that we're touching a nerve, yes. right? Because they wouldn't be doing this but for our activities. And, yeah. um, and, and, getting, and, and by our activities, I mean anybody, including you, that's, that's in the business of, of, of speaking the truth. Oh, yeah. They, they've shut me out. <laughs> Nobody wants to talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> those those halcyon days of my early radio career here uh, are over. Like I am no longer considered a friend to the meat industry. I am definitely persona non grata. And actually, I will tell you something interesting. I was I'm writing a book actually about the meat industry worldwide, and um, and I called up. I I was just you know listening to something. I went did some webinar or something. It was really really good. Anyway. It got me interested in genetics and how very small the pool of genetics are in industrialized meat production. So I, I looked up one of the firms, one of the biggest firms, and I called them up and I, or actually I wrote them an email and I said, I'm, I'm writing a book about this industry. And I was just curious how many different strains or breeds, you know, or, you know, genetic packages do you use in your, you know, breeding operations? And the woman wrote right back and she said, now, who is this for? Now, what kind of book is it? And then as soon as I, and I obviously couched it in the mildest possible way, it wasn't like, oh, I'm a, you know, I'm a, I'm a rough and tough, you know, animal activist, you know. No, I was just like, well, it's just this and, you know, very mild. No response. That was it. So they don't want to talk. I know. Isn't that amazing, Amanda? Um, But you know what we should do now is take a short break because I know Jack is just raring at the bit for that. And uh, we'll be right back with the wonderful Amanda Hitt from the Government Accountability Project and the Food Integrity Campaign. Stay tuned. 
Let's play a game. If I say three words, let's say Brooklyn classic food. You tell me what comes to mind. I'll give you a second. If the answer wasn't juniors, you lose the game. You can't possibly be a Brooklyn foodie, or a foodie at all for that matter, and not know about Junior's. Founded by Harry Rosen in 1950, Junior's landmark restaurant is known as the home of New York's best cheesecake. Real talk, you have not fully lived unless you've had Junior's cheesecake. The original location in Brooklyn on Flatbush Avenue is still thriving, or you can check them out at recent landmark additions in New York's Grand Central Terminal or in the heart of the theater district on Broadway and Times Square. Check out their first restaurant outside of New York at the Fox Tower Hotel at Foxwoods Casino in Connecticut. It's not just cheesecakes. They've got steak, seafood, sandwiches, salad, everything you would possibly need to complete an authentic New York dining experience. Don't be embarrassed next time somebody asks you if you've been to Junior's. Visit juniorscheesecake.com for more information. Hey, this is Chris Kuzmi. And Mary Isaac. Of the From Men About It. On HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Have you checked out our new website, heritageradionetwork.org? Awesome. So we are just one of many amazing shows. It's a not-for-profit radio station, and we need your support. So click on the red beating heart on the upper right portion of the screen. There is no donation too big or too small. Take your weekly beer budget, turn it into support for heritageradionetwork.org. We survive because of you. Thank you for letting us do what we do. This is What Doesn't Kill You, Food Industry Insights. I'm your host, Katie Kiefer. And uh, on the phone with me today is Amanda Hitt, who is the Food Integrity Campaign Director for the Government Accountability Project, a really fantastic whistleblowing uh, organization that supports people who speak the truth, not only about the food industry, but about people like Edward Snowden and uh, you know other major um, investigations into UN politics, uh, things that are going on abroad that need to be addressed. I mean, actually, the website is fascinating, Amanda. I really, I, you know, while I was looking through for topics to talk about with you today, I was like, wow, I can't believe these people are doing this and this and this, you know, like sexual abuse and peacekeeping forces in Somalia. I mean, it was just like, whoa, you guys have a long reach. Really cool. Great organization. Um, anyway, so let's go back to this um, just for a second. I want to talk a little bit more about um, the ag gag since we were addressing that at the end of the last segment. Um, so those agricultural gag laws uh, that have obviously struck a nerve and are, are have proliferated. And then for a little while, there was a lot of media pushback. It was like, "Woo, what do they have to hide? Oh, my goodness. And so even the meat industry was saying those were a very bad idea. But I noticed recently, <laughs> I noticed recently that um, there are new states who who are uh, quietly um, passing more legislation of that type. And I feel like, you know, once the sort of media frenzy died down, they're just kind of going back to business as usual. Am I, you know, am I just making that up or is that actually happening? I think, I think that's all, I think that's all happening. I think that's exactly what's happening. It's, um, well, it's, um, it's the mighty morphing ag gag law, you know, it changes, it warps, it turns, it twists to be whatever they can try to through their, you know, legislative bodies, you know, anything that they can possibly um, make work to uh, to stop this undercover video, uh, that's what they're going to employ, and that's what they're doing. And 
Um, you know, so, so there, was, there used to be just a couple of varieties, and now there's, you know, uh, if some changes added to the mix, and one is, um, is uh, the most recent in North Carolina. Did you, did you follow that at all? That was quite, quite a trip. Probably not. Uh, but you, I, well, I, I never remember anything that I read, so go ahead and tell me again. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's interesting. So, that, you know, it didn't pass the first time. It didn't pass the second mm. time. Well, it passed the second time. got vetoed. And then the veto was overturned. The gubernatorial veto got overturned. Wow. And so now they have an ag-gag law, but it's unlike any other ag-gag laws of the ag- existing ag-gag laws. And then it, it's, it, it, I think that, what one, it's, 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 it, interestingly, it's not criminal, so that sort of gets, gets them, they're, again, they're trying to wedge this through um, right. and so make things happen. And, you know, we've already had in, in Idaho, ag-gag is unconstitutional, so right. what are they going to do? How are they going to change it? So they... They take away the criminal aspect to it, make it a civil penalty. Um, and then what's really interesting and of interest to the Government Accountability Project, the whistleblower organization, as you mentioned, what's really interesting is that it's all industries. So there's this duty of loyalty oh. in all industries in North Carolina. So to us, it's the most egregious of things. I mean, it's, it, it hits on all of our, our cylinders at the Government Accountability Project because sure. this is what we do, right? We get, tr- we get truth out of all industries, not just food industry. Right. So this is, this, isn't, um, this is not limited to um, food. But that's how important stopping these videos was mm-hmm. to, to to those to the really it's the lobbyists right I mean that's who did that to the lobbyists oh yeah we're going to talk uh, about that in a minute yeah yeah I mean we can't <clears throat> you can't have a conversation and not not talk about the power of the lobby because that's what we're I mean that's I mean that's what that's who we're fighting against we're not you know it's it's these um every everybody's you know for hire it seems and these mm-hmm. lobbyists are are signing paychecks so it's it's this interesting. Uh, interesting thing that's happening, but yeah. So we're we're interested in um, organizationally. We're interested in taking on North Carolina, and and, and um, I can't be certain. It's a little premature for me to say now, but we'll we will probably find ourselves in that fight. Uh, it's mm-hmm. it's too much at our, our at our at our back door to ignore. So yeah, I think there has to be some sort of <laughs> you know national addressing, you know, some sort of address uh, to these corporations or these lobbyists in order to, and to to legislative bodies in every state to recognize that this, I mean, as Idaho ruled unconstitutional, I don't see why other, you know, there aren't other um, activist organizations that are raising, and I'm sure there are, uh, that are raising these same points and, and pointing to the unconstitutionality of, of something like an agricultural gag law, or what the, what the industry likes to call it a farm protection law. Right, farm protecting, protecting <laughs> yeah. the farm from getting caught doing a crime. That's, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I mean, the reality is, it's not. A, it's not always so much the farms that are doing it. I mean, let's be fair. It's. I mean, most of these, um, you know, horrible animal welfare issues <clears throat> are seen in either, you know, as the animals are being moved into the slaughterhouse. It's not. <clears throat> it's not just in a chicken house, although it does happen. Right. Not just in a, in a in a hog hog house. And also, I don't think of those things as farms, I have to say. I think of them as industrialized production. They're just right. like, you might as well be calling those animals widgets, because that's what they are. They're not creatures. I, and they, they do, you know, it's some distantly interesting, you know, fun fact. I mean, they are, these animals, you were talking about the selective breeding and the, you know, how mm. the genetic, like, lack of diversity. Well, that's... That that's necessary. That's not just a, a convenient thing. That's no. actually necessary because the widgets have to fit. And if a pig is a widget, it better 
fit a certain genetic profile so that it grows a certain genetic way yep. to be a certain animal to fit in the cog. I mean, that's, I mean, it, it is widgets and cogs. I mean, and, and you know, uh, it's, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you something about that QPP plant, too, but a lot of people don't realize they're supposed to be hemp because it's so fast, right? They said, well, you have to use only the healthiest, happiest pigs. Well, that's not happening in, 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 uh, in, at QPP. And that COK, Compassion Over Killing video, will show you that. I mean, there's a lot of sick pigs that are not meeting that perfect genetic profile and, and are ending up on that slaughter line. And you, if you have that mess happening, then the, the whole, the machine, the machine itself doesn't work. So, I mean, it's, it's crazy. It's, um, it, it is so industrialized. I, I don't think most people get that. And if they get that, I think they are confusing industrialized with sanitized. And, 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 and I, I think that that's problematic because, you know, it's not, um, I'm not trying to cause fear and panic in meat eaters or non-meat eaters, really anybody who who's comes in contact with, with these foods, whether they intend to eat them or not. Um, I mean, you know, it's, we're one, one outbreak away. And, um, you know, you, you're, yeah. you're not seeing, um, you know, you're not seeing, like, it's not about a little bit of raise in salmonella or something like that. It's that one hit, that one sick pig. And the, the way that um, this, the industrial line works how how disease spreads and the nature of, of the public health problem. It's really not um, it's not a drips and dribbles. It's 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 unfortunately a foster farms type outbreak that 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 is you know in the make. Mm-hmm. Um, if we continue on, on this on along these lines and down this down this road, yeah. right? But that sounds like a lot of fear mongering. But you know it's not sustainable anyway. You I, I, you got to ask yourself why are we doing it? It's bad for the environment. We know it's bad for the environment. It's bad for workers. It's bad for animals. It's bad for public health. So, well, why are we, why are we in, engaging this system? Um, and it's like, well, it's, I guess it's the only one we have. And, and, and it's the only one we've, we've asked for yet, you know? Yes. We're asking for it now. But if we change the way we ask, if we, we look at different models, maybe, you know, maybe we'll have a more sustainable system and, and, and people in the end will be happier and, and healthier. I would um, hope so, yeah. <laughs> I would hope so. It's like a pipe dream. Like, oh, and everybody would go to a small farm and know their pig. And, you know, but I, um, you know, I know people who do that. Like, it's not, un- it's not crazy. They have, they, they actually pick their Thanksgiving turkey. They see it, they know it, they, 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 they make that decision, you know, so... I mean, if, if that's what people want to do, which I don't think they probably do. Most of your listeners are like, I really would prefer not to meet my meat. But, um, I mean, there, 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 is, there is that. I mean, there are different alternatives. There are, there there are, are alternatives, alternatives. But, I mean, but even in the industrialized model, uh, you can look at companies like Nyman Ranch or Snake River or, yes, uh, you yes. know, that are, that are big uh, production. It's, you know, very large production, and yet they've still managed to do it in a way where the animals are not suffering. I mean, I can't necessarily speak to their slaughtering conditions, but certainly the animal welfare on farm is, uh, you know, very much of cut above the standard of living in a hog house with 10,000 other pigs. I mean, right. that's, 
you know, and plus, I think there's a bit more sort of care and selection in terms of genetics. I think they change up their genetics a lot. And that's, that's become quite an interesting uh, topic for me. I mean, I, I, I was surprised at how much I had to learn about it. Um, and, I, and I'm really looking forward to uh, reading more and hopefully eventually connecting with one of those companies, because I do think that's really um, fascinating. But let's, let's talk a little bit because we're, we're kind of running out of time. I want to talk about the revolving door between uh, food safety and inspection services, the agricultural, uh, the USDA, the meat industry. Industry. Um, and, I, and I wanted to bring up that I noted just recently I saw an announcement that the former governor of Arkansas has now joined the board of directors of Tyson. Yeah, I think so. So now, you know, like, let's look at what that means. What does that mean in terms of, you know, connections in Washington, connections in state legislation? Um, if somebody says to Tyson, we want you to clean up your waste lagoons, um, you know, no doubt the old governor is going to reach out to his best buddy on, you know, the state council or whatever and say, oh, we don't want to do that. You know what I mean? Well, I think what it means is uh, you've, you've just answered, you know, how did we get here? Well, yeah. this is how we got here. Yeah. And it's that revolving door. And, and it's the nature of, of po- politics and money and, um, and how things get thrown around and how things get mixed in. And um, this is what we got, right? We yeah. mix politics with money, and this is the food system that we've, we've got. And, and, you know, I, you know we were talk- I think I mentioned last time I was on the program, but there's, this, there's, there's little stuff on a micro level that's happening. So not just the big level with the big wigs, the governors and the, the, the USDA hierarchy or something like that that gets revolved into the door. Even on a smaller level, the USDA veterinarians oftentimes find themselves revolving and then turning into uh, on the plant side yes. where they where they teach them how to get around their HACCP issues, right? So they use the USDA's regulatory knowledge as a way to, you know, get around regulation. So, I mean, that happens on a, wow. on a, on a tiny level, right? Yeah. And then on these larger levels, you know, we're talking about Hormel. Why not mention Hormel? So uh, Elsa Murano was uh, right. undersecretary. She revolves into, she's on the board of directors for Hormel. And guess what? Hormel gets three of these five hemp plants. What a gift. What a yeah. rosy, sparkling gift. And it was not an accident. You know, this is, right. this is the way, the, this is the way, these, the way it works. And agriculture is a big driver. Yeah. It's not, it's not nothing. It's really something. It's a, you know, I, 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 you were talking about all of the work that GAP does and on UN and Snowden and all of these things that, that we've done and, and uh, you know, on a global scale. Well, nothing in my mind is bigger than the impact of agriculture. I mean, it actually fuels 100% of everything. I mean, that's, it is how we eat, right? Yeah. And if you want to control the masses, that's how you do it. So yes. there's a lot of power and there's a lot, of, a lot to be gained as far as personal profiteering on having a, a stake in agriculture and, 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 you know, being a lobbyist and doing these things, creating these ag law, ag, ag laws, passing these yeah. ag laws. You know, there's a lot of money in it. And, um, and uh, people forget that it's not just pig feed. It's it's quite, it's a, quite yeah. substantially more. Um, so yeah, I, I think that um, the re- revolving door. I think if I, I could go into to greater detail with individuals that um, have have profiteered from from this, but it's it's just that it is that this is how we got here. I mean, this is how we got into this industrial system. So yeah. um, and and this is why this is this is the butter that that that, that keeps churning. You know, like this is it. <laughs> 
Yep. So. This is definitely it. And what's even more interesting and important about it is that um, as these lobbyists, uh, you know, sort of garner more and more influence, um, then we see uh, the kind of major consolidation of the industry that is going on right now. For example, when JBS, uh, the Brazilian meat company, acquired um, the entire pork division of Cargill uh, for some, des- you know, unbelievable sum of money, it was $37.4 billion or something like that. Or, or when Shuang Hui in China bought all of Smithfield, you know, for umpteen million dollars, billion dollars. And, and then you have other countries who are, you know, also influencing policy and legislation in favor of their practices. And they're not even, I mean, not to be xenophobic, but they're not American companies. And they're, you know, they're using up resources that could go towards American America feeding America. And, um, and instead, it's actually America is feeding China now and America is feeding JBS and their profits. And that's, that's another whole can of worms that I, I find absolutely, you know, terrifying. Um, but I see that that, you know, the consolidation of the industry is, is, is having, uh, you know, global influence politically, as well as local influence. Um, and I find that very pernicious, indeed. Yeah, and you, you left out poultry. Yeah, right? I did. I did. <laughs> the, the, the big four in poultry. Yeah. Uh, you've got, you know, Sanderson and Tyson and uh, Pilgrim's Pride. Pilgrim's Pride, which Purdue. is a JBS-owned company. That's a, that's a Brazilian company. That's right. And yeah, Purdue. Yeah, my language. <clears throat> yeah. No, I mean, I, you know, now that I'm, I'm, I've been doing so much reading around this because I'm, you know, doing this little book. And, um, and it's just like the tentacles into other countries and, you know, resources and uh, land and land grabs. And, I mean, it's just... It's really a pretty scary uh, scenario we've set up for ourselves by allowing lobbying to get into our political process. I think that sort of sums it up. Um, so, and, and actually, where is the giant report on how food lobbyists and meat sector lobbyists are putting Americans at risk by this? Like, well, it, why is nobody exposing that, I wonder? Is that, is that my next book? <laughs> Yeah, I, th- I mean, I don't think it would be a bad idea. It's certainly something we've been working on. We had a, um, we were, uh, we had, we sort of were in the infant stages of a uh, revolving door um, white paper. But uh, you know, I, I've talked to people uh, who uh, other advocates, and uh, you know, and 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 they all agree it's time for, it's time for that to get written. Um, and it's just, it's, it would be so multi-tiered. I think it would be. I think it, it would. It would be a book. I, I do. I think do it too. Would be a book. Um, and it, a white paper wouldn't uh, wouldn't fully address the issue. Well, um, it, you, you can't because it's it's an international uh, issue now because of the consolidation of these corporations, these multinational corporations. I mean, it's it's you know in every country, it's in every you know every culture basically that eats meat, and even cultures that that don't eat meat or traditionally did not eat meat are now jumping aboard the bandwagon. I mean, the Chinese, for example, they've literally maxed out the land they have available for growing crops and raising hogs. So that's why they're buying all this land in South America. Uh, The Middle East is buying up tons of land in India and Africa for the same reason. They need a place to grow feed for cattle and poultry. I mean, it's, you know, it's crazy. It's a crazy situation. But um, we only have a couple more minutes. I want to talk about um, my last show was with a great guy who I'm sure you know, Ricardo Salvador from the Mm -hmm. Union of Concerned Scientists. And he's really, he was just so brilliant. I was so impressed with him and I really enjoyed the program. And, um, you know, obviously he has a big message going out now about trying to engage politicians in talking about food policy for the United States and then 
you know, maybe even appointing an actual cabinet position that would be a food policy director. So if that happened, who who, who do you think would be a, a suitable candidate? And what do you think that job would look like? Like, I can't I, even imagine. I, I, yeah, I can't, I, I, I can't imagine a, a suitable candidate because I, I can't imagine the position. Um, not, not that I, I don't think it's a great idea. Mm. And, um, it, you know, for the longest time, people have, talk, have been talking about, you know, a, a single food, uh, food system. You've yeah. heard of this concept. Yep, yep. You know, we have 15 different disparate agencies that are currently in charge of food safety. Yeah. And we could just make one single food agency and suddenly everything would be fine and everything would, would, <laughs> would, would, would work out. But I mean, it would just—it would be a new bureaucratic animal, and what what it would look like is anybody's guess. And I think about—I think about that when you think of this as a sort of national food policy director or something like that. It would be awesome because it, it, it. But it would it would be awesome just at its inception that someone gave a damn uh, that actually yeah. someone cared enough to think that that was an important position. Right. That would be that would be huge, right? I mean, it's it, it, in is is that political will there? Um, do people view food as that important not just access to healthy nutritious food, but also food that was was let's just be honest, uh, you know, that that was 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 produced with animal welfare in mind. I mean, do people care enough about those issues to to justify such a position? And you have to have that political will and you have to have people interested in doing it now, I, I don't. I, I'm no scholar in it, and I, I certainly haven't seen it. I mean, for me, it says, well, what what's going to make the food system better? More tr- more access to truth in agriculture, less it, more transparency and greater yeah. tra- accountability. That's going to make our our food system safer and, and have have more integrity. That's what I think, right? But um, as far as uh, having having a, a you know this pin, this person, maybe even a cabinet position. Yeah. That's kind of outside of you know outside of my you know my my general you know thinking or what I would want for this country. I mean, it sounds it sounds great. What I would want is that people cared enough to want it. Um, <laughs> that that would and if I could bring enough truth to the table that people could could make that informed decision that they need it. That's where I would I would be, and that's the steps I would take. Um, but uh, you know, when it comes to the person, I really you know I I, I haven't thought maybe you, Katie. I don't. I, 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 think, I mean, that makes sense. It's you know, a, a no BS truth teller. You know, does say it like it is. That that could. That could do our, our world of good for us. Oh, my God. I would just love that. Oh, my God. But, I, you know, the real question is, could you find somebody who is so uh, squeaky clean that they are impervious to the influences of, you know, what we've just been discussing, of multinational corporations, of trade treaties? We didn't even get into talking about trade, you know, the trade agreements that are pending right now that are, you know, going to have very big implications for our food system going forward. I mean, there's just so much. There is so much stuff to the food industry, and it is such an important part of our economy. It's really a shame that people only see it in terms of sort of three squares a day because it's so, so much more than that. But anyway, on that note, we should probably wrap it up. Um, Tell people where they can find out more about your organization and what you guys do. Um, And if they want to sign up for the petition, where do they go for that? And, you know, we'll get all that stuff going here, too. That sounds great. So you can check us out at uh, foodwhistleblower.org. And if you want to learn more about hemp and Hormel, you can check out WTFHormel.com. 
That sounds great. Thank you so much for joining me today, Amanda. It's a pleasure as always. And, and we won't be letting such a long time go between the next this one and the next one. And in okay. the meantime, uh, this is my last broadcast for 2015. Um, I'll see you in 2016, folks. Thanks so much for supporting the radio. Remember, we're still in our end of the year fundraising drive. Um, you know, if you're interested in hearing more about how important our food system is to not just your own personal health, but to the health and well-being of the entire planet, um, you know, support this radio station because we are the only ones who are doing what we are doing. We really are. And uh, it's really easy to hit that that beating heart and show your love uh, for not just my program, but all of the wonderful broadcasts on the heritageradionetwork.org. So I wish you all the best for 2016, and may we have a better world in the future than we occupy today. Thanks a lot for listening. So long, folks. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. 